welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, top supply chain industry professionals and the nation's top thought leaders join host Brian Strait and share their unique insights to help supply chain managers stay one step ahead of their competition. This is Talking Supply Chain. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Talking Supply Chain. I'm your host, Brian Strait, and today we're talking leadership with a pair of thought leaders in the space. Radu Palamu Palamaru is the Managing Director of Asia Pacific and Europe for Alcott Global. He works with C-level and top management executives with Fortune 500 companies in the manufacturing, logistics, transportation, supply chain, and e-commerce sectors. Also joining us is Knut Aliki. Knut is a partner at McKinsey & Company and part of that firm's global supply chain leadership team. Welcome to you both, and I do hope that I got your names correct. <laughs> Good to be here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, to get started, um, could you, each of you tell our audience a little bit about each other, about yourselves? Sure. So let me jump in. Um, so Radu, based in Singapore, commuting on a regular basis in between Asia and, and Europe, um, <laughs> by birth, uh, Romanian. So that country that is famous for Dracula, gymnastics, and, and a few other things. But in general, these two <laughs> tend to, to, to stand out. Um, and been around supply chain operations for, for roughly 10 years. Um, Elcott Global is an executive search firm, a recruitment firm, and we work with companies, as you rightfully said, Brian, uh, around the world, around manufacturing, the operations, uh, logistics, and so on. Yeah, include Alika and Brian, you, you got my name very well. So it's not so easy <laughs> to pronounce my name. So congrats to that. <laughs> well, at least if nothing else, then the, uh, the this has been a success for me today. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. A strange Scandinavian name, even though I'm not Scandinavian, I'm German. Yes, I'm, I'm I would say I'm, I'm 30 years in supply chain. Um, got excited um, when I did um, my, my final study, so to say, master thesis and then uh, started my PhD in that topic and since then working in supply chain and uh, since 20 years now in McKinsey and here helping clients across different industries to improve their their supply chain performance and that can be in planning that can be in physical flow that can be in the organization or how to leverage digital to be better <laughs> and what we what we always see over the, over the years is clearly there is there's a lack of supply chain I would say talent capability and so on. So that's why I also decided to to teach supply chain at the University of uh, Cologne, where I teach an an executive MBA for for supply chain. So that's yep. that's what keeps me busy. Yep. Well, I mean, you guys are very busy, and and you're in areas of the world that I would love to go visit someday, and I've not made it to unfortunately, and hopefully I do someday. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I first got acquainted with you guys both um, earlier this year when, you know, I, I did something and saw something on a book that you guys have published called From Source to Soul, Stories of Leadership in Supply Chain. Uh, plug available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, many other retailers. So you can go buy it. It's a very good book. Um, I would suggest if you're interested in, in leadership, go, go get the book. Um, one of the things I found very interesting about the book is that while, while there are some of your own thoughts on leadership in it, um, what it, it really took um, the the thoughts of a lot of different global leaders global leaders in here and and you took and you kind of put it in their own words. So how did the concept of the book come about and and why did you choose the approach that you did for that? So so let me let me get started. Um, we. Um, 
you, you, you will probably not believe you will probably think that uh, a guy a guy from a consulting company and a guy from a from a headhunting firm are very structured and kind of planned this well ahead the reality was that um, Rado and I did uh, work together kind of in uh, a conference presenting and so we we felt that both of us were really excited uh, on supply chain both of us had the same feeling that um, supply chain is under evaluated that um, we need to do something to help the supply chain community or the network to kind of get to the board, to be heard, to be listened to, that people understand what all of these people do. And then we discussed, hmm, what can we do? Should we, should we do more presentations? Should we set up something else? And then we came up with the idea, why don't we talk to people who made it to the board with a supply chain background? Yeah. And the first one that comes to mind is clearly um, the, the CEO of Apple, right, Tim Cook. And then we kind of looked into maybe there's more. We also looked into how many CEOs do we have with the background, and we looked into the Fortune 200, and we found that it's only 11%. So back then, that was two years ago. It was only 11%, and we saw that, hmm, that's not a lot. So we need to kind of help the community to change that, right? And then we said that, why don't we pick... Uh, a couple of successful people, successful leaders with a supply chain background that are now CEOs, COOs, CPOs, so that made it to the board and wanted to also make sure that this is, I would say, a diverse group from an industry perspective, from um, a region perspective. As you can see, we, we have quite a bit of women, but it's still male dominated. So that's also something we need to change. Yeah. And this is how I, kind of one thing came to the other. And then we started the interviews and um, it was it was also for us very, very insightful. And, and this is at the end how we ended up with 26 interviews. Yeah. And and you, you did like you, you just mentioned, you mean, you did you talked to 26 different people for this or, or that ended up getting published, I should say, in the, in the book. You may have talked to more. I don't know. But um, they, they came from it was an interesting mix coming from multiple countries, multiple business sectors, et cetera. Was it difficult to convince these high-profile people to share their stories, at all? No, not not necessarily. I don't. Um, I think there is a so some of them, you've read about some of them are CEOs, some of them are successful entrepreneurs, some of them are chief supply chain officers or chief operations okay. officers. So fairly broad spectrum. Not, not necessarily that it was that difficult. Um, now we we, we did uh, we didn't get uh, Tim Cook or Mary Barra from General Motors. So maybe that that you can argue it was more difficult to get to those guys. But um, and we we perhaps had uh, you know a few that also passed on the opportunity because they were too busy. But by and large, I think people um, resonated with the idea, which was how to share with the world that you can make a very successful career from coming from supply chain. And to set some examples of, of how it was done and what were some of the key principles ultimately, because this is not a book about formulas of supply chain. It's not a book about technical supply chain. It's a book about leadership and leadership is highly personal. Each of the 26 people have a, have had their own career path, right? Some spent 40 years in one company like the Mike Corbo from Colgate. Some spent, you know, uh, several uh, or their careers uh, took them across several companies. So you have many different ways to get to Rome and Rome being ultimately a board level position, whether as a chief supply chain officer or a CEO. And, um, and what's quite, quite heartening, uh, 
the feedback that we get from from readers is that you know you're going to resonate with some more than others and that's the whole point of the book because you're going to resonate with some of these careers more than you're going to resonate with others because it's probably closer to you individually to the readers individual own journey and what they need to pick up and learn as a principle perhaps from the book but that was also our intent to give a, a little bit of a menu list of options right and then the reader can take uh, can take what best fits them at the point of their career that they're at yeah and and, and it was it was one of the, the comments that i thought to myself too was that every one of these stories is different right and how these people got there and i think that shows you that we can all sit there and say well you got to do this you got to do this you got to do that in your career but there really is no one path to where you want to get to but it's so much about desire and, and the willingness to put in the work and, and and do the things and to learn along the way right from everybody and, and um i i think everybody a lot of the people in this book um the the stories suggested to me that you know they were their journeys were um formed by their interactions with others in many cases as well um for each of you were there any particular stories that really resonated with you and either in your journey or you know journeys that you've seen and others that you've worked with so i can i can get started it's i would say it's um a lot of the stories resonated or parts of the stories resonated Uh, brian you already mentioned that the aspect of learning lifelong learning and being curious to explore something new that is what we heard by a lot of contributors Mm-hmm. That is also something that clearly Rado and I are very, very interested. Otherwise, we would have not started this book. So to be open, to kind of evaluate, hey, what is out there? And always look for ways to improve. Always look for kind of new, whether it's new technologies, whether that's a new process, whether that's a new setup, um, to try to uh, to apply that. Um, one of the contributors, um, she... Uh, Chief supply chain officer of a big big company even said that she kind of took a Python course in the summer. And when we then discussed hmm, Python in your role, you're probably not really coding. No, but we need to understand what our uh, young colleagues do, right? So yeah. we need to kind of get into that. So that I found very interesting. Also, the reverse mentorship model that they that they implemented. What I also found interesting is um, um, a comment that. Um, that uh, Jim Roman, now the CEO of Volvo Cars, made, where he said, look, uh, back in Dyson, uh, when he was managing the, the supply chain and then later on as a COO, CEO, there was always complaints about um, that, oh, the sales guys, they don't get the forecast right, and oh, we could be much better if only the forecast would be right. And then he said, look, guys, <laughs> it is what it is. We probably can improve it a little bit, but just take this as the current input and make the best out of it. And this is kind of very, very important that we, we need to clearly also help our colleagues in uh, adjacent functions to improve. But at the end, we first need to make sure that we take the environment as the environment is and set it up in a way that, that we are successful. And then we start with this kind of earning the rights. We then start to also improve um, focus security, for example. We then improve how we kind of work with our um, our suppliers. Another collaborator, uh, contributor, um, said that hey, collaboration is super important. He suggested to have the suppliers attending the SNOP meeting, and he said that uh, he was nearly kicked out by his colleagues. <laughs> they did not, did not want to open up for the suppliers, and he said like, look, these three suppliers are the most important suppliers that we have, so we depend on them. Why on earth should we not invite them and share our production plan with them? 
So here, <clears throat> convincing the colleagues and then opening up, and at the end, it was super successful. And all of this joint planning, this collaboration uh, was super important. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just to build a little bit on, on Knut. So whilst, um, you know, each, each story is quite unique at the same time, we looked at the commonalities of the, the interviews and, and we came up with the model, uh, the chain model. Uh, we came up with the name, of course, also to, to be easy to be remembered. So each letter stands for something. So C uh, stands for collaboration, H for holistic, A for adaptable, I for influential and N for narrative. And these five elements are, if you want, the source of success that more or less came, came across in each of the interviews of the five characteristics that are common, are fundamental to be a good, successful supply chain leader. And I don't believe um, that there's any sort of um, rocket science uh, formula, especially when it comes to leadership or success or whatever. Uh, the best we can hope that we come up with the catchy name or phrase that makes it memorable. So if you, you know, I'm sure that all of us have read the seven effective, seven habits of the highly effective people, right, of Stephen Covey. I mean, it's not like the seven habits are actually mind blowing, but he did come up with this sketchy, right, the number seven is sketchy, and then the way that he yeah. presented it, and it makes it easier to follow. So that's, that's kind of our hope as well and intention with the chain model that it's five characteristics that are fairly easy to follow. And, and remember that of what makes a great uh, supply chain leader and um, particularly for supply chain I mean this uh, ultimately this is fun these are fundamental that apply to leadership in general but particularly to supply chain the community uh, in general tends to get over over focused on technicalities on jargon on um, engineering side on data and analytics and all of that of course are critical if you're going to be a good supply chain professional you need to look at the data you need to understand the data and all of that however to make it to the board to make it to a c-level position that is that is hygiene factor that is basically <laughs> fundamental but not enough and if unless you have the chain model characteristics unless you have the leadership skills unless you have the for lack of a better word, the soft skills, you won't make it. So that's our hope that the chain model provides a pathway and inspiration as well as a guideline to what it takes to be a true leader at the board coming from supply chain. Yeah, yeah. And and that's, you know, you talked about the commonalities and, and, and whatnot, and I, I think that's great. And, and I think when you read the book and you read the stories, you, you do see some of that. And I saw some of that. And, I, you know, the things that stood out to me were a little bit, you know, there were a number of them that talked about breaking down silos. Um, a, a number, I don't know what number, 50% of the people talked about communication um, and, and managing the communication part of it as being part of it. Um, others mentioned that there are not enough role models in the space. And, and that took me to, I, I think, when you guys started the book, right at the very beginning, you asked this very simple question, which is, why do you think the supply chain hasn't yet become the breeding ground for future top leaders the way some other fields have? And, and I think that's a valid question, right? Because a supply chain leader is involved in everything in the organization, right? So why are they not running organizations as much as they are? Um, many of these people in the book have done this or, or they're on their way to doing that. But from your perspectives, you know, why why do you think we haven't gotten to that? What, what, what kind of your thoughts on why we've not seen more supply chain leaders move into, you know, CEO roles, for instance? So I'll start from this one, and I think it's it's a few things. So number one, it is indeed role models. So the more the more the more we're gonna get, and I think that number is 
is increasing and, and we're yeah. seeing more and more now of course it, it it is a fairly low base right so i mean and i don't know if at any point in time nor is there an intention that we're going to get 50 percent of the ceos from supply chain maybe that's that's too high right so but i think you know from 11 percent, maybe we can get to 20 25 30 percent so I think for, for that to happen, role models are important, like in anything in this on this planet, right? Representation is important. Um, the second thing uh, that, that needs to happen, and equally, if not even more important, is mindset of the supply chain professionals. So I would argue that quite a few of the professionals don't necessarily believe themselves <laughs> that they can be or they deserve <laughs> to be CEOs. So um, w- whether you think you can or you think you can't, either way, you're right. It, it's what <laughs> Henry Ford said, right, at some point. So it, is, it has to do with mindset. And, um, and there has to be an elevation of mindset of the supply chain professionals to own their power within organization and power in, in a very positive way, right? They are indeed, supply chain is the nervous system of a company. It moves and, and pretty much orchestrates everything. That is extremely powerful and important. So they need to own that and they need to also own the responsibility that comes with it to make a difference and, and be business partners. Um, as of today, there's there's two problems with that. So one, there's a population of supply chain professionals that are fairly tactical. They are not really strategic, right? So uh, when you go to the CEO, and uh, I'm literally now doing a chief supply chain officer search for a medical device company, and the CEO told me, Lograto, I, I don't want a person that explains to me how he saved, he or she saved me money on a container. That, that's fine, right? But whether they saved me 50 bucks or 30 bucks, it's not, it's not really uh, mind-boggling or mission critical. I want to be able to increase how many patients I serve. I want to be able to increase how much business I do in a specific geography. And that's the crux of it. It's the difference between being tactically good in supply chain, right? And you can optimize your networks and optimize your uh, manufacturing sites and all of that. But that does not necessarily mean that you're good at being a business partner to the CEO, to the board, and you know helping them increase business, helping them retain clients, helping them come up with maybe new products. That's a completely different angle to it altogether. So I think that's, that's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, about the mindset piece. So I think number one, role models, number two, mindset. Um, and then, of course, there has to be number three. Um, there has to be also an element in which supply chain professionals do need to upskill their their chain model skills for like uh, you know let's let's keep using the same um, uh, same um, an- analogy we used in the book uh, the soft skills the sales skills the marketing skills that's where there's a lack a genuine lack um, because we see CEOs coming from marketing from sales from finance, from finance I think there's a need that supply chain professionals also need to up their game when it comes to how do you communicate how do you influence how do you sell an idea how do you present how do you sit in front of clients, right? And how do you make that happen for yourself? Because it's not necessarily supply chain doesn't necessarily sit always in front. Most of the time, it doesn't sit in front of the clients, but you can work well with your chief commercial uh, officer, your peers, and be there because that's that's a, that's a side that you really need to be more exposed to in order to be CEO. So these are the three top of my head. And maybe, yeah. Knut, you want to add? Yeah, let me, let me pile on. If we, if we think about the, the education, if we start kind of people come from school, right, then they get to university and what is it that they learn if they, if they want to focus on supply chain? 
universities unfortunately teach a lot of theoretical stuff right so you don't find a lot of let's say sound i would say business wisdom uh, which supply chain is a lot of <clears throat> in universities so these people then <clears throat> are experts in operations research which is fine if you want to join a software company right and um, i always tell my students look <clears throat> the models you you learn the lot size optimization models or so that's all fine but 95% of my clients even don't know the simplest model itself. So there's other stuff that you need to understand. So these kind of young talents, they're educated in a way that is good for problem solving and everything, but not necessarily as uh, Rado said, as a business partner for the CEO. Yeah. Now, what do these people then start to do? They work clearly in an area which is very number driven, very nerdy, right? They love it. And then, as we also, uh, we have one example in the book, if you think about kind of a, a salesman, 10 orders, the salesman um, secured one, celebrating that one, not talking about the nine others, right? The supply chain guy coming over, 10 orders, nine perfectly delivered on time, customer super happy, one was two days late, the supply chain guy will talk about the late, right? So this is also kind of how you, how you present yourself, how you explain the story how you have um, the, the narrative for, uh, for supply chain. And that is what people don't learn at university. And often they don't learn at, um, at companies when they start. So this is something that we need to start working on. And um, I try um, to work on this by kind of coaching people. I kind of teach at university and I hope I don't, don't teach the algorithmic part that do other, uh, that's done by others. And with this help people, to uh, get more into this business partner uh, mode and with this being more successful. Yeah, and you mentioned universities. I, I think that's um, a, a nice segue into the next question I had, um, but it also ties to something. I had, a, I had a conversation with somebody the other day um, about this. Actually, we were, we were talking about technology and supply chain space, and he was telling me that, you know, the respected leader in the space um, they're speaking with, and he was talking about the fact that the problem that they're having, that, they see, that he sees, is that companies are investing in all this technology, but they're not investing in the people to know how to use the technology correctly, right? But the universities are teaching the people how to build it, how to use the technology, but not teach them how to make these sound supply chain decisions that you need to, to complement the technology, right? It's like there's a, there's a disconnect there, and the, the industry is wanting both, basically, and, and they feel like the university is not giving, is only giving half the, the equation, and they can't get that other half. Um, and so that that's a talent-related question, right? And, and that it goes to my next question here, too, and that Alcock Global has put out a couple of white papers. One of them is supply chain challenges over the next 12 months. And I think they're the typical things that you see in it, um, geopolitics, inflation, labor to be an issue. Um, the talent shortage was noted by 50% of the respondents in that survey. And I, you know, I've seen that. It's what I keep hearing over and over again. Talent, talent, talent is the issue. And, and this goes to the hiring. And I think this goes to the broader theme from kind of your book is that is why do we not get more supply chain leaders in the space, right? That are moving beyond supply chain and, and CEO roles and COO roles. And I'm wondering if the problem starts farther down the line. You know, are we, are we not doing enough to get the the young professionals in, into the career, right? To, to, to develop them. And, and in the book, a lot of these people work their way up, right? And, and this is what they wanted to do. And maybe we're not doing enough of that to get them promoted through the, through the career, through their career's journey 
if you will, to get them to the CEO type roles. Um, what what do you guys think about that? I mean, is, is do, in order to solve the supply chain leader role, do we need to start much farther down the line, perhaps maybe even at the university level and work you, work our way up that way? Yes. Professor. So <laughs> let, 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 let me get started. So indeed, I, I teach them 25 years. And this, this is exactly why, why I teach, to make sure that at least kind of my class, and it's not kind of hundreds of people, very, very clear, but at least in my classes, I, I teach people what, is, what, is, what I think, what is relevant for, um, for business. And we need to do much more of this. Right? But here we have, a, we have a systematic flaw in the, in the education system that um, professors need to publish. You can publish everything that has formulas. You don't publish on a, a, a nice concept that helps you to improve your supply chain. Same is true, by the way, for lean manufacturing. Same is true for procurement, right? We don't teach that at universities. We teach it at business schools, right? But there is much more people out there at universities and engineering degrees um, where, we, where we need to teach. So this is something where I would love to kind of build more of a network of people um, who go out to the university and then teach. And not teaching in a way that um, often you have kind of people joining from industry that kind of they have a presentation of half an hour. That's fine, but it's that's more kind of telling stories. But that's not from a from a lecturing perspective, not very very structured, right? So you need to kind of do both. You need to kind of combine the the academic part and the and the business part, and then you need to continue when these people join a, a company. You need to continue to coach them and develop them, and um, here then. Um, to help them to, to understand the business needs. Um, and Brian, maybe also to your point on companies think that they buy technology and then solve all problems. Exactly as you said, our experience is that this does never work because people who are not educated, what they will do is they will not use technology. They will go back to their old habits, which is often yeah. called Excel. And then they will do everything in Excel and then upload the result. That's very simple to find out. You just need to kind of look into how long did they log in and um, you find out that, oh, mm, for the eight hour day job, only half an hour log in, that does not make sense. But it makes sense if you download, do funky stuff and upload again. So here we need to also, we need to um, help people um, how to use this, this technology. Very, very important point. Yep, exactly. And and building on that too, I mean, as he said, we, you know, you talked about the university and, and training them and, um, but it, it's when you, they get into the careers and you mentioned this, like we need to keep training them, right. And keep teaching them in the careers. Yeah. And, and the other, the, the other white paper that I mentioned a, a second ago um, that Alcott put out was called be your own success story, be your, be your success story, I should say. And that focused on kind of on skills and controlling your own narrative in the supply chain. And, and that one found that 64% of executives say their primary challenge of recruitment is finding the candidates that possess the right skill sets. And I think this goes to what you're mentioning, right? Like, you know, there's a disconnect there. And and, and I think that that also, again, ties to your book as well, right? I mean, the, the book kind of talked about this. It's, it's kind of learning these career direct career trajectories have to take place and you have to learn these things along the way. So um, when, when the people get in the workforce, can, can you talk at all what, what you're seeing you know, are companies not looking for um, the right talent? Are they not looking the right places for the talent? You know, or are we just not doing a good job giving the, the future talent the skills they need to get to that next level in their journeys? 
Um, look, f finding talent is extremely difficult. That's why uh, our business model is all about charging people to help <laughs> and talent for them. So yeah. that, that might, there might be a plug in there. But yes, use Elko Global <laughs> for your recruitment needs. Uh, now, on a serious note, um, uh, so we're, we're in an interesting situation right now, maybe to, to keep it practical. So we have a couple of clients that specifically asked us to get them candidates that come from outside of their industry. And the reason being for that in particular, you know, you have medical devices, you have pharmaceuticals, you have industrial companies. And the reason for that is that they tend to be in a, in a situation of restructure where they've come to the realization that, okay, maybe if we get somebody from an FMCG background where they know what good looks like because FMCG has very, very, very small margins, they can also help us transform in industries where perhaps the margins were historically higher. And this ties into the point of well, why do people struggle to find talent? This, well, one, one issue is that they're looking for, sometimes they're looking for more of the same, or they're looking for, they're very specific in their requirements. However, as, as I said, now there is a window of opportunity because the right talent is the person that can make transformation, that can make restructure happen. We are, we are heading to a pretty rough 2024, depending on which side of the world. The U.S. still holds up quite okay for now. Europe is definitely in, in some sort of a recession. China is not doing great. So we're, we're having some significant headwinds. So in, in situations of headwinds, companies do need to change a little bit their behaviors. And there, a lot of times, as a headhunter, I can tell you for sure that they are the masters of their own misery, which is, oh, I can't find the right people. Yeah, but <laughs> sometimes you're looking for exact apple to apple, right, of, of yeah. what you had and you're looking, you know, I mean, if, if it's not... Uh, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes, is not, it doesn't fit, which is hardly the case because most skills are transferable. Uh, two, there is also a realization that you got to take some bets on people and most corporations are risk averse. So uh, again, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, the difficulty within finding people is again within typically within the same company. Like I've, I'm just having a case with a particular company where they've interviewed 25, 24 different candidates from us. And they're still saying, oh, we, we haven't identified the perfect one. <laughs> and at some point, you know, 90%, 80% is good enough. So get, get on with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got you to gotta take at some point a calculated risk and say, look, I think fundamentally this person has the right skills. Maybe it's lacking some level of experience and so on. I'm not saying, you know, if you're a pilot and put the person to, to conduct an open heart surgery, right? I'm not talking about such things. But, you know, I mean, if you've done supply chain and you put, the, if you've done procurement or planning and you put the person to do something in that field, you know, take, a, take some bets on, on people. Um, and, and secondly, uh, thirdly, uh, there's also realization that companies are fairly short-term oriented. So right now I have a couple of clients that have completely slashed training budgets. Uh, because, again, we're heading into a pretty tough year. Now, if you stop training and you stop teaching your people, I mean, two, three years down the line um, and developing your people, you're going to suffer. So yeah. it's, it's all this combination of factors. It's not, I wish there was a, the formula for, for this. It's mostly common sense <laughs> things. Unfortunately, common sense is not common practice. So my, my uh, if I can try to uh, extract some sort of uh, advice or sharing session is uh, most things in this world, we, we have... It's, it's never been easier to learn. It's never been easier to learn. Hence also why we put up Be Your Own Success Story. If you're really driven, nobody stops you. Like you have YouTube, yeah. you have a million courses online, you, have, you can upskill yourself, right? And then companies do need to, and hiring managers do need to also be more open-minded 
to where can talent come from and not necessarily fixated that it, if it is not blonde with blue eyes, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, I'll throw my own two things in here too. And, and, and Knut, I think you might want to say something, but you know, in my experience, I mean, I had a boss once tell me we were looking to hire somebody um, in, in a position and my boss said, well, I don't want to hire somebody without at least five years of experience because I don't want to train them. Hmm. You know, it's like, so you're going to get somebody that's very set and they might be set in their ways, which might not be great for the organization either um, because you didn't want to do the work to train them. But the other thing that I've noticed over time is that a lot of people, and I think it's just human nature, you know, how many people think they themselves are bad workers, right? I mean, we all think that we're a good worker, right? Nobody said to us, says, well, Brian, I, I believe that I'm a terrible worker. I'm the, I'm the worst worker there is. So what you end up doing is you, you believe yourself as a good worker. So what you do when you go higher is you look for people that have the same traits and personalities that you think you have. Mm-hmm. So you end up with a team that's exactly like yourself, right? And then, and then you end up with all these gaps and these holes in your organization because you don't have the people with the skills that you need to make a well-rounded team. So, I, I mean, that's kind of things that I've seen over the years. I, I assume that it, those, those things probably take place in supply chain as well. I'm, I'm sure, I don't know what you, what you guys think of that. Agree, and uh, let, me, let me maybe add on, um, if, if, if I look into um, my, my clients where we don't do large-scale supply chain transformations, we, we always do some kind of coaching, capability building um, in parallel. We call this experiential learning because what what clearly does not work, uh, and we see this unfortunately very often, is that, hey, we have this uh, catalog of um, 800 courses and uh, you as a demand planner, you now pick course 15, 17, and 21. People don't get anything out of this, right? So. <laughs> You need to create an, an environment where everyone is eager to learn. And then as Radu said that the stuff is anyhow available online, then you kind of look for, for papers, uh, for YouTube videos, whatsoever, and then you get that. But that only works if you have um, at the same time a boss or some role model that takes time and coaches you. Right? So you cannot outsource that coaching. So think about a, a kind of a, a seasoned manager with 20 years of experience that coaches you and uh, tries to kind of um, convey the skills that this manager did build over the last 20 years into something where you can take a shortcut, right? Because if all of us look at a problem or at a challenge, we immediately have an idea because of our experience. And this is when all the young people uh, need to learn very, very fast. So all of this needs to be there. You need to have the environment. You need to have um, also the... um, the eagerness to learn, and you need to have um, role models that help you to to become successful. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then again, I mean that, that all goes back to the book, right? I mean, the, and everybody in that book is a role model out there. So um, we we are out of time, but I do want to I want to thank you guys both for joining me. Um, for those of you listening out there, uh, I strongly suggest you to go get the book. The book's called From Source to Sold, Stories of Leadership and Supply Chain. Um, it's got some great stories. I mean, it, just from an enjoyment standpoint, you read the stories, it's nice to see some, you know, some of the journeys that these people had and some of their experiences. Um, but I guarantee you that no matter where you are in your career, whether even if you're at the top already, you're going to come away with some ideas that might help you. And if you haven't gotten there and you want to advance your career, there's some ideas and, and you, you know, you can pull kind of a path forward as what, hey, if, you know, 
these kind of things can help me and, and maybe I should do this as well. So um, a lot of good advice in it that you can take from that book. Um, again, thank you, Radu and Knut. Uh, thank you so much for joining me talking leadership today. Greatly appreciated it um, and our time together. So, All pleasure. Um, thank you. Yes. And thank you to everybody out there. Took time out of your day to listen to me and listen to our guests today. Greatly appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Brian Strait, and this has been Talking Supply Chain. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, supplychain247.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information on this topic or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, a print or a digital subscription to our publication, visit scmr.com. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For Supply Chain Management Review, I'm Brian Strait, and thank you for listening.